0: Well, as you take your seats, if you open up your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philemon once again, and this will be our last study, the Lord willing, <laughs> part three of a three-part study that I didn't know was going to be a three-part study. <laughs> but there's a lot of richness contained in this letter, even though it is a short book, it's just one chapter, if you want to call it a chapter. 25 verses and I want us to back up and look at verses 18 and 19 again even though we had covered those last week and uh, then we're going to close out this passage of scripture and we're going to look at some other places in the text of scripture where Jesus calls us to forgive others because we've seen the main theme of this letter has been that of forgiveness. So if you have made your way there to the book of Philemon... Uh, Look back at verse 18 and we'll read through to the end of the letter. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. "'Confident of your obedience, I write to you, "'knowing that you will do even more than I say. "'At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, "'for I am hoping that through your prayers "'I will be graciously given to you. "'Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, "'sends greetings to you, "'and so to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, "'my fellow workers. "'The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.'" So here we're at the book, or at the conclusion of the book of Philemon, and as I had mentioned last week, we went through verses 18 and 19 together, and it was there in that text that we saw the incredible imagery of the gospel portrayed there for us, how Paul was willing to step in and pay a debt that someone else could not, and how that is the reality of all of our spiritual conditions before God, that we are unable to pay the great debt that we owe. We could not buy ourselves out from under his wrath towards our sin, and so Jesus stepped in and he paid the ultimate price, giving up himself to pay the debt that we could not. And that's where we kind of left off last week. He satisfied Jesus Christ, the full wrath of God, by his atoning work on the cross. And this short letter has been a letter about forgiveness. And though the word never gets mentioned at all in the letter, we get a really strong appeal for it from Paul to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. So the letter to Philemon is validated as Paul's letter because he begins his closing by stating that this portion, at least, he is writing it with his own hand. And so let me back up and just read that once more. He says, 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. So we see that um, this is a postscript. That is common at the end of Paul's letter where um, Paul would pin this himself and so it's an authentication, basically, that Paul is indeed writing this letter. At the very beginning of the letter, he says that, that Paul is the one who is writing it. And he says, I, Paul, write this. But then at the closing of the letter, he would actually do it in his own hand. And this was common of many of Paul's letters, where something about his penmanship would lead those to conclude that, yes, Paul indeed was writing this letter. We all have something unique in the way that we write um, they probably wouldn't be able to write my, read my letters. I would probably have to translate it for them, but it would authenticate it as a letter that had come from me if I were to write this in my own hand. And so it's one of the reasons that Paul does this. But if you remember, Paul had said that he was would agree to pay the debt that Onesimus owed. And this was also a way to say, you know, you're signing your name to something, almost like you're signing your name to a debt saying, I will agree to repay this. And so in the sense that Paul is writing it in his own hand, it's confirming, yes, I will back this up and I'm backing it up with my own signature here in this postscript. So we could see it a couple of different ways there. Um, I think it also is a reminder to us, um, to those that we are indebted to, You know, maybe it is a loved one, or maybe it's someone who shared the gospel with us, and as a result, we became a believer in Jesus Christ. Understanding, yes, it is Christ's work that saves us, but there are those that God uses as instruments in our lives to bring the gospel to us, to teach us, and maybe even take us along after our salvation and disciple us and mentor us, and we can think of the debt that we owe to them, even though they would never think of us repaying it. And so when we are reminded of those in our life who have poured into us, in a sense have, have ministered to us and never expected any return, then it should make us then quick to forgive those who would owe us any debt. So in a sense, it is still Paul appealing for Philemon to forgive Onesimus, who was the runaway slave. So in verse 20, Paul, once again, he puts this responsibility back to Philemon. Paul could have used his apostleship credentials, remember, in most of his letters, he immediately starts out saying he's an apostle for Jesus Christ. He didn't do that in this letter. He says that he, along with Onesimus and Philemon, he's a fellow slave in Christ, a bondservant of Christ, so he just kind of levels the platform from which he is speaking here, and he appeals to Philemon's heart, he appeals to Philemon's conscience putting the responsibility back on him. In verse 20, he says, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. So Paul wants some benefit in the Lord from Philemon. And if you think about what is it in the Lord that he's wanting how is he wanting Philemon to respond, or what is Paul wanting from Philemon? It's really something of spiritual value. I, I believe that Paul is speaking of the joy that he would have in seeing Philemon turn and forgive Onesimus of this wrong that he had committed towards him. So in refreshing my heart in Christ, there is a strong emotional connection to that, that Paul wants to see joy restored to his own heart by witnessing two brothers in Christ now reconciling with each other. And he's speaking from the core of his emotion and also appealing to the core of Philemon's emotion as well when he says, I want this refreshing of my heart to happen. You know, when a Hebrew would speak of something from their heart, what they were really saying is, this is from my bowels. That's like the literal translation of it. And that was where they thought the seat of all of our emotions lie. That at the the core of our being is almost like saying that when they said it was from their heart. So you know Paul is seeking something to minister to him inwardly that is from, from the Lord and seeing this reconciliation happen. He wants his heart to be refreshed by Philemon's forgiving Onesimus and also receiving him as a fellow brother in Christ now. And Paul was confident that Philemon would respond positively to his petition to forgive Onesimus, not because Philemon was obedient to Paul, but because Philemon was obedient to the Lord. When he says confident, in verse 21, when he says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And if we look at it in context, you know, Paul is not saying, I'm confident in you obeying me, because Paul has not specifically come out and demanded anything of Philemon. He's been appealing to his heart. He's putting the responsibility on him to respond. So the confident of his obedience, the obedience that Paul is looking to, is Philemon's obedience to Jesus Christ. And if he's obedient to the Lord, then what should flow out of that should be forgiveness. And that is where it must stem from for all of us. Our obedience to the Lord is shown in how we love and in how we forgive others. In First John, beginning in chapter four, I'm gonna read verse seven, then also jump ahead to verse 11, because this is really a love that speaks or that grows and is formed out of our love for God and our obedience to him. First John 4, 7 Is it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So this type of love that Paul is appealing to is born out of a relationship with God. We know also it tells us in 1 John that we love because God, he first loved us. So that was verse 7 of 1 John 4, and then if you look at verse 11, it says, Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So there is that being obedient to God and his love for us, out of that should stem our own love for others, especially those who are part of the household of faith. And so in this, there are many application takeaways as we've read through the book of Philemon together when we consider the perspective of each of the main individuals that are addressed in this letter. So we can look at it from Paul's point of view, we can look at it from Onesimus's point of view, and we can also look at it from Philemon's point of view. And I'm going to just, you know, draw on a couple of them for each individual, but you could probably come up with a lot more here. But let's look at first at Paul and in Paul appealing on behalf of another here. If we find ourselves like Paul, maybe we know two brothers or sisters in Christ, maybe they're at odds with one another, maybe there's some unforgiveness that exists between them, Uh, how can we appeal? What's the appropriate response in appealing for them to reconcile and to forgive one another? So if we put ourselves in Paul's place seeking to foster reconciliation between two individuals within the household of faith, then the book of Philemon teaches us how important it is to affirm and also encourage when you see someone loving in the way that Paul saw Philemon loving. If you remember a little bit back in the letter, Paul highlights what he sees in Philemon and his love for not just the Lord, his love and faith in the Lord, but also his love for all the saints. And if Paul has seen this, He knows that Philemon has the ability to forgive, but sometimes we need to encourage that in someone. When we see it in them, we need to affirm it, say, I see that you have the ability to forgive within you. If you truly are a believer, you have God's Holy Spirit within you. You know that you love because he first loved you, and so you should be able to respond in love and be able to forgive someone who has wronged you. So it helps to give them confidence that they have this love available within them to forgive someone. And sometimes they don't often realize that. Sometimes we do need to encourage and we need to tell someone that they do. And it puts, also what Paul's done is he's put everybody on equal footing. Back when he refers to himself as being a slave or a bondservant of Christ, he tells Philemon, he's also a bondservant of Christ, and also Onesimus, he's a bondservant. So they're all on equal footing in terms of their relationship with God. They are now brothers in Christ, and if we're seeking to look uh, to restore relationship and to foster forgiveness, then we need to come at it with that approach that, hey, you know, I'm not above you and and trying to hold my iron fist over you and, and pound this forgiveness into you, no, we're all equal here. We're all looking to God and helping us, and we need to put prayer and time and effort into it. We need to be intentional about it. And so we can find ourselves sometimes like Paul in looking to try to to create that, not create it, but just to um, encourage that love and that, that forgiveness between others. And then if we look at Onesimus, I think there's a couple of things that we might be able to learn from him. As Paul speaks of this one who is a runaway slave, he was at one time a servant of Philemon, and then he took off without warning, and he left his, uh, his obligation to his master He also probably took off with some money. That's somewhat indicated here in this letter. So he had done a great wrong to the man that he was subject to here on this earth, his master Philemon. But now he was moved to go back to deliver this letter that Paul was writing on his behalf and to give it to Philemon and to appeal for his forgiveness. So we know that Onesimus had to have been changed by God himself that he had been saved and that his heart had been regenerated and now he was able to respond out of love. You know, He could have very well said, no, Paul, I'm not going back. I'm not going to do this. I mean, I know he's not going to forgive me. If anything, he could actually have me killed according to Roman law. But no, he wanted to subject himself to God first and foremost now. He had a truly repentant heart. And so Philemon could know that when he does apologize, that it is coming from sincerity. Uh, He meant this. Remember the journey that he would have had to make just to deliver this letter? It wasn't just, you know, jumping in his car and driving a a few miles, a couple hours here or there and asking for this forgiveness, but he had an incredible journey ahead of him to take just so that he could apologize and uh, seek the forgiveness of another brother in Christ now. And last but not least, there are times where, like Philemon, our Christian character will be challenged at to truly prove that we have the love of God within us, it will be tested by someone who is difficult to love. And it might be from someone who is difficult to forgive. You know, we may have an encounter with an onisimus in our lives. Perhaps it is even now that you are dealing with someone who is like this. Maybe they have done something incredibly wrong to you. Know, some of us, you know, the slave-master relationship isn't really understood like it was then, but we still have those in the workplace who have authority over us, and we can sometimes rebel against that and want to push back, and we may quit our jobs, we may leave. It could be a fellow brother in Christ that we um, would just kind of take off and leave it holding the bag, so to speak. And should we seek forgiveness? You know, and how do we forgive someone who has wronged us in such a way, and we can see the example of Philemon being how we should respond if we find ourselves in this position, someone who has wronged us in some way. And it could be somebody far back in the past, and we may be still holding on to unforgiveness for that person, you know, maybe not even realizing it. And sometimes just reading a letter like this in Philemon can help trigger those, those memories like, you know, I really never have truly forgiven that person. Uh, They may even have someone appealing to you on their behalf, someone acting as a mediator, so to speak, saying, I really want you to consider forgiving so-and-so. And And as a believer, the responsibility, like Philemon, is on us to forgive when someone has uh, truly been repentant and sought forgiveness. And remember, Paul could have demanded this of Philemon but he chose to make the choice up to him. And so if you are Philemon right now trying to forgive on Onesimus and realize that God is calling you to obedience in him and calling you to forgive, Paul would appeal to Philemon's love and faith in Christ. And he also says of his love for all the saints, all the brothers and sisters that are in in the household of faith and using that to spur him on to Christ-like action and forgive the one who had wronged him. So maybe you find yourself being a Paul right now trying to foster reconciliation or maybe you're an Onesimus right now where you're seeking forgiveness. Maybe you're Philemon where you're the one responsible to forgive an individual who's come to you seeking forgiveness. Um, wherever you find yourself, um, Philemon is the book you need to go to to see how, what the appropriate response is, what the Christ-like action is. And at the end here, coming back to the letter Paul seems to be moving on to other matters in verse 22. It's almost like it puts a tone of certainty on the whole matter of Onesimus, that Paul is so confident that Philemon is going to forgive Onesimus. He says, now in other news, I can go on, we can talk about this. And he says, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It would seem that Paul is so confident in the matter, that the matter will get worked out, that he asks that he prepare for a visit from Paul. That Philemon is supposed to make things ready when Paul comes to visit after his imprisonment, and Paul is fairly certain that he's going to be released from Roman prison. This was his first stint in prison, and he was released. Um, but he, Paul, for some reason, is confident. Maybe the trial has already kind of concluded and the sentencing hasn't occurred yet, but there is a confidence in Paul there, You know, maybe trying to encourage himself as well as Philemon, a brother in Christ. But the letter um, maybe ends this way with letting Philemon know that Paul will be there to confirm whether or not forgiveness has actually taken place. So almost like a little, little bit of pressure <laughs> may be on Philemon at this point to think, oh, Paul is coming to visit, and he will know whether or not I truly have forgiven him. So perhaps it's that. Um, that's just me speculating. I don't know for sure, but there's a couple of little things that we could, a couple of takeaways that we could assume from that. So the letter of Philemon ends with many of the same names being present here that were also there when we closed out the letter to Colossians. And so I'm not going to belabor that a long time because we already looked at each of these individuals, but I do just want to bring in the name of Mark one more time because that's the first name that Paul mentions of the one one who is there with him in the writing of this letter. And what it tells us is that Paul himself had an opportunity to forgive someone and he chose to forgive him, that he acted Christ-like and forgave someone. And that is Mark, or John Mark, as we sometimes call him. And he was one of the ones who had abandoned Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. When it came time to set out on the second missionary journey, Mark, who was the cousin to Barnabas, uh, Paul said of him that no, he's not allowed to go. He said he, remember, he abandoned us on the first missionary uh, journey and I don't trust him to go along with us again. And so it says a sharp dispute arose between Paul and Barnabas such that they parted ways. And Barnabas took John Mark with him and they went on another journey and Paul separated and went on his own second missionary journey, which is recorded for us in the book of Acts. But then later on, we see that there must have been a forgiveness that occurred between Paul and Mark because now Mark is with Paul at the writing of this letter and this is long after the friction between him and Barnabas when Barnabas wanted to take Mark along. In fact, we know that the forgiveness had taken place such that Paul would say to Timothy at the end of his letter to second, in Second Timothy, he would say, Luke alone is with me, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So there is a backstory to Paul, including Mark in the book of Philemon, and A lot of Christians knew about this sharp dispute and they knew about Paul's forgiveness of Mark and Philemon was probably one of those. And so when Paul mentions Mark's name first as being there with him, another, just another like kind of a last little sentence here that would just plant the seed of forgiveness, almost like, remember, I too had to forgive. And this would be calling out Philemon once again without really doing so. So many in in the church um, that this is being read to, remember this is not just Philemon, but this is going to be the church that is there in Philemon's house, probably read to the church in Colossae, maybe even in Ephesians, but it was first to be delivered directly to Philemon and then read later on to the churches. And all of them knew the background to what had happened here, and all of them are going to get to be witness to this Remarkable uh, forgiveness that we know probably and can be confident that it did happen between Philemon and Onesimus. Uh, Paul's ending statement is another mark of Pauline authorship, and that is how he ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And for the one who is needing to forgive, what better reminder than to consider the grace that you have been given No one deserved what God freely gave by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to pay our sin debt by shedding his precious blood upon the cross. And when we consider the magnitude of that grace towards us, we should carefully consider the degree by which we are willing to share it with others there is a parable that I would like for us to consider before we close out our study of Philemon today, and I think it illustrates very vividly how serious we need to take forgiveness. If we haven't already seen it in our study of Philemon, I hope that we will see it here, uh, going to the book of Matthew, chapter 18, and I want to read verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18. Beginning in verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the amount uh, was impossible to pay. I mean, he's speaking of talents here, 10,000 talents. Even one talent went a bit about a year's worth of wages, and here he owed 10,000 talents. It was a a great, enormous debt, and there was no way that he possibly could have repaid it He would have found himself in prison. He would have found his children and his wife in prison as well until the debt was paid, which probably wouldn't have been by the end of their lifetime. So they're looking at a a life's worth of prison sentence here for them. And yet he pleaded with his master to forgive him. And the master was moved by his pleading and forgave him of all of his debt. And it was a considerable amount of debt. But then the scene changes, right? and now a fellow servant of this one who had been forgiven so much was seeking forgiveness for a debt that he owed him. He could not pay it, but his debt was only 100 denarii, which if you compare it to talents, was probably pennies to the dollars. I mean, this was really not a substantial debt, but he was not moved and he did not show mercy and he did not show grace. In fact, he hardened himself towards this this person who owed him and he would not forgive him of his debt. Well, other fellow servants were looking on and they knew that this fellow servant had been forgiven much himself and they reported it back to the master. The master called him back and he sees that he wasn't able to forgive a small debt in light of the huge debt that he was forgiven of. And so that debt came back and now he had to owe the master. The master was no longer forgive his debt because he wouldn't forgive the one who owed him little. And it says in verse 34, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So God takes forgiveness extremely seriously. And Jesus, in giving us the model prayer for us to follow in Matthew chapter 6, he tells us how we ought to pray. I just included the last half of that prayer in in my notes here, but it's found in Matthew 6, verses 11 through 15. And Jesus would guide us in this prayer. He would say, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And verse 14, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. There's not a yes but in here when we are called upon to forgive a brother and sister in Christ. And we kind of want to turn it always into an excuse to defend ourselves, right? When we need to forgive someone, and we go, well, yeah, but, I mean, we've all, most of us have had kids in this room, and you know when you're trying to settle an argument, there's always an excuse there, yeah, but. It's like, no, no, you have to forgive. And it, it, the consequences is, if you don't forgive others, then your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. And now this is just me sharing scripture with you because it's not like, well, that's, that's just Owen saying this. Like, I have the advantage of just, no, look at what scripture tells us. I mean, we've read two accounts of this, of what it means to forgive and what it takes to forgive. And I understand that there are some serious grievances that we might have for those who have wronged us in some very terrible ways. I don't, I don't want to try to lighten or diminish that, I've seen examples of forgiveness, though, where someone who has lost a loved one at the hand of another, having been uh, led to forgiveness, that was just such an, a wonderful illustration of what true forgiveness looks like from a sincere heart. How a loved one could have been taken from somebody, and yet they could still be turned and moved to forgive them for that grievous offense that I never want to even imagine. Our Lord demonstrated the greatest forgiveness, though by dying for sinners who ridiculed and abused him. You know, so often we just go immediately to the cross and we think about, you know, Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and that was a serious undertaking of horrible punishment. But if you go all the way back to what he endured even before the cross, all that he undertook at the hands of sinful men leading up to his crucifixion, you know, that he would have been uh, charged illegitimately charged, and then he would have had been beaten and scourged almost to the point of death and a crown of thorns put on his head. And You think about all the mocking and the spitting that went on as he walked down the road to Golgotha and even having to carry this huge Roman cross that he knew was going to be what he would die upon and this most horrible form of punishment that one could ever imagine and then to be nailed to that cross and to to pour out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and that he could say, what? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You know, I talked earlier about considering the magnitude of that demonstration of forgiveness that we receive from him being the determining factor for the degree by which we are willing to give it to others. And this is an example that we look to for how we should love and how we should forgive And only God can help us forgive, but he commands it of us. You know, when we were looking at Colossians in chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, we touched on this a little bit, but you may not have uh, caught it when we first studied it. It says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There, again, is a command for us to forgive others. When we despise his mercy and grace, then we can expect to receive nothing less than God's justice, similar to the parable. If we cannot forgive our brother his trespasses, then our Heavenly Father will not forgive ours. Some of you may know this story that I'm about to tell you, but it comes from Corey Ten Boom's book called The Hiding Place. And she um, worked against the Nazis in World War II hiding Jews in her home. And when she was caught, she was sent to a concentration camp where she was basically stripped of all dignity that she had and she saw her father and her sister Betsy die at the hands of the Nazis, and suffered more at the hands of other people than we could possibly imagine. It was a horrible suffering that she undertook. And this is precisely why her encounter with forgiveness is so memorable, so I'm going to read it directly uh, from the ending of her book. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Freulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who preached so often to the people in Blumenthal, the need to forgive kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not in our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. So again, I'm not here to saying that you are going to find it easy to forgive if you have been wronged or offended. I have seen forgiveness just tear, unforgiveness just tear people apart inside. I've seen people wear unforgiveness just like a heavy coat on them on a, on a hot day that they just can't seem to get off. It's almost like with some, there's a real physical manifestation of how they treat others, including themselves, when there is unforgiveness in their heart. I watched a man pray one time uh, for God's help to forgive a dad who had abused him horribly uh, over years of his childhood and how he went from this downtrodden and bitter man during this retreat that I was on to having so much joy and peace just almost instantaneously hit him and just cover his face with such a joy that you could see outwardly and you knew it was going on instantaneously as God's forgiveness just had flooded over him when he forgave his father. And it was one of the most incredible things that, that I've seen. But forgiveness can be hard, but it is not in our forgiveness that the world's healing hinges, but it is on his. We are given the opportunity to participate in the love that Jesus extends to the world with our forgiveness. And in that, I find this a great encouragement, that Christ gives us the love we need to forgive as we practice forgiveness. Forgiveness. Let's close in order of prayer. Father God, I thank you that we can look to you to be the one who helps us in times where we're feeling unforgiving towards others. And I don't know what someone might be even feeling in their heart right now as you're reminding them perhaps of someone that they have not yet forgiven, Lord. And we've seen the seriousness of that unforgiveness. And what it means for us as an unbeliever if we refuse to forgive the one who has wronged us when they have sought forgiveness from us, God, that we need to be turned and moved in our hearts by your spirit to forgive them so that you forgive us. And God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that I don't have to depend upon my own words to press this upon people or somehow force them, God, but it's simply what your word is speaking to us. So by your spirit within us, convicting our hearts and maybe drawing out of us a forgiveness that needs to happen, just... Allow that to occur um, even today, Lord, as we just bring this prayer to you and we ask for your help. And Lord, we thank you for the, the magnitude, that debt that we owe to you, God, that Jesus Christ stepped in and he paid that for us. We were doomed to a life sentence of death, death apart from you, death perishing in hell, Lord, and, and yet you came and you took everything that we deserved upon Yourself, the very wrath of Your heavenly Father, and You paid that price so we wouldn't have to. And God, I pray that we would turn to You, turn away from our sin and repent and confess before You that we cannot save ourselves, that we need You to save us. We need You to pay the debt. God, I thank You for, just in a moment, the demonstration that we will see of that forgiveness of sin that You have just affected by Your grace, and those that have come forward wanting to be baptized. And uh, we want to celebrate that, Lord, and that we get to see something outwardly, which you've already done inwardly, in the forgiveness of sin and drawing us into a peace relationship with the Father. Lord, we ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.